Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would, um, you would open up our hearts to hear what you have to say to us. We thank you, God. We, we take this moment to honor your truth and your word. And Lord, I just pray that you speak to us and speak to our understanding. Remove obstacles. Let your voice be heard. And I pray that as you speak, you would define us. Thank you that that's what the words of a father does to a child. It defines them. And I pray that you would speak to your children today and you would define us and help us to see who you want us to be. We thank you for that. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give Jesus praise one more time. Come on, everybody. Now, a lot of times as, as I preach to you guys, I preach to you as individuals. And I preach to you about things happening in your life, something specific to your life. Um, today, I want to I take a little bit of a different tone because in this series, we've actually taken a little bit of a different tone. And you may have sensed that and seen that and wondered what was going on. We're, we're, yes, we're talking to you as individuals and as things that's going to be applicable to your lives. But how many of you know you are not just an individual? You are a, an individual who is a part of a whole. Right? And so you're a part of the whole of the church of Jesus Christ. And so as we talk about all of these things and even celebrating what we did yesterday and survey day and all of that stuff, you're a part of that. And so we're celebrating as a whole. And so I want to speak to you this morning as a whole. Um, and I want you to see a snapshot this morning. I want you to see a, sna- a snapshot of what the church was like and what the church should be like. Now, we have an individual responsibility attached to that. But nonetheless, this is for us as a, a whole. And so I hope that you hear it that way. Now, as we've been learning about what the church was like, again, it's so that you can know what the church should be like. Now, the entire book of Acts is really all about the birthing of the church and what it did in its beginnings, right, and, and its origins and who it was. And we've really been talking about that longer than just this series. If you go back to our series, Foundations, we've been talking about what the church did when it first began. What did Jesus intend for the church to be like? Now, there are some differences between the church today and the church back then. And there's some, some key things that I want you to see. We're not exactly the same. One, we don't have the apostles that literally walked with Jesus with us today. That's a unique difference. We do have their writings, though. We do have what God inspired through the Holy Spirit for them to say to the church so we know what God's will was through the apostles, through the New Testament, through the Scriptures. That's why we have them. Another, dis- another distinction, if you will, is we are not a central, in a central location. The church then was in Jerusalem. That's where the church was. It existed right there. And so, but for us, the church, through the grace of God, has spread all around the world. You may not know this yet. We, we celebrate being a part of this spiritual family, but we are not the only Christians in town. You do know that, right? 
Some of you are like, uh. No, we, we are not the only Christians in town. And as a matter of fact, there are plenty of people in this community, some of which we served with yesterday, that love God, love Jesus Christ. And you are their brothers and sisters as well as the people in this room. And here's something unique. The moment you were born again, you had family members in India, in Africa, in Asia, because you're a part of this global movement called the body of Christ, the church. Now, with all of that said, there are some differences, but there are some unique things that we as a church should go back to because it's what God's intention was. And that's what I hope to communicate to you this morning. And so as we look at the birthing of the church, we've been looking at the birthing of the church and the boldness of the church. The church was not this timid entity. The church was bold. The church was passionate. And in its beginning, it was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it had a message that it wanted the world to hear and the world to know. Now, last week, we talked about when sin entered the church. And I know some of you were like, Pastor Gabe, it's 4th of July, and you're going to talk about the day God killed people. Yes, I did. And so we were talking about that because when sin enters, death enters. So when sin entered the church, death entered the church as well. And so this morning, though, I want us to take a look at the rest of that chapter that we began in Acts chapter 5, and I want you to see a snapshot of what the church really is like or was like in that time frame. We've been hitting different things, but I believe that in the rest of this chapter and even in the beginnings of the next chapter, we get a pretty clear picture of what was happening in the church at that time. So this morning, I'm not just going to tell you this story and it applies to your life this way or this happened and it applies to your life this way. I want you to get a picture, a snapshot of just what it was like at this time frame. Are y'all with me this morning? And so this is what a snapshot is. And we all are familiar with this. A snapshot is a picture. It's, it's, a, it's one crystal clear image but that one crystal clear image gives you a big story. Think about it this way. Think about those times whenever you are at home and you're, you're rummaging through your old stuff and you find one of the, those old pictures of yourself. How many of you are always distracted when you find those? I could be trying to clean something up at my house and if I start seeing pictures, my wife could tell you I'm there for about a good solid hour. Babe, you remember this? You remember that? And because those pictures, they, they just, they take you back to those memories. They bring you back to those moments and they tell stories. And those pictures of yourself when you were younger can bring you back to that time when you had a fashion sense. <laughs> they can take you back to those moments whenever your hair was, wasn't gray or when you had hair. How many remember those days? Some of you don't remember those days. That's okay too. Of those days, how many of you ever looked at those pictures and thought, you know what? I used to be in shape. I used to be fit. Some of you go, I used to be fine. Right? And but there's something about those, those, just seeing those images, they take us mentally back and someone else may see it as, oh yeah, that's you. That's you standing in front of a car. But in your mind, that's an entire season. 
There was a whole narrative behind that. That's when I bought that car at this time, and you don't understand, and that's when I was insecure, or that's when I was extremely confident, or that's when I, I had this group of friends, or that's when I, that's before this person passed away. And there's so many attachments to that one snapshot. And this morning, I hope that you get to see the snapshot of what the church was like and hear the story and the narrative behind it. And so as we look at this, I don't want you again to, to just hear what's happening there. I want you to hear the heart of what's going on. So if you will, let's go back to the book of Acts chapter 5, verse 12. And to catch you up, this was right after Ananias and Sapphira died. They came, of course, they came before Peter and they said they sold property for an amount that they didn't sell it for. And they just, they were so caught up in the praise of man and what people thought about them that they were willing to lie to the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, they died on the spot. So this is right at literally the next verses after that says this. The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people were held them in, really, excuse me, in high regard. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. And we're going to continue to read more and more into this chapter but I want you to see some of the, the nuances of who the church was and what it was like just from what we're reading. The first thing I would say about the church is this. It was a pure church. It was a pure church. Now, I'm not saying it was a perfect church, but it was pure. As a matter of fact, we, we saw what happened last week with Ananias and Sapphira, and as we get into chapter 6, we're going to start to see some of the problems that came with the diversity of the church. We all love diversity. We all love when different people from different walks of life come together. But there are problems that come with that that need to be sorted through and worked through. And the Bible tells us what happened when the church got together. And there were people who spoke different languages and some problems that came along with that. And so we're going to dive into that. But here's, here's something amazing about the church. They had issues, they had problems, but they dealt with them. They didn't just let it go. They didn't just go, oh, it's okay. No, they dealt with it. Why? Because they were fighting for the purity of God's calling on them as a people. They dealt with these things. So... Why do I say it was pure? God dealt with it. God dealt with it, and he used them to deal with it. Now, there's an, there are times when there's a thing called church discipline. What do I mean by that? Church discipline is something when the leadership of the church has to step, in, step into a moment where there's sin in someone's life, and it's sin that's affecting the body of Christ, and we have to step in and bring church discipline to that. That may not be something you've ever heard of, but I assure you it is biblical. 
And God has set it up this way. And as a matter of fact, God has handed that type of leadership over to the church leadership for the church to make leadership decisions based on these things. Because the church is mean? No, because we have a responsibility to be pure before God. That's why we do those things. That's why we deal with sin. That's why if you ever have someone, a small group leader or one of our elders or one of our pastors or staff saying, hey, that's not okay, you need to repent. It's not just because we're mean, it's because we're called by God to keep this body pure. And so that's why you have that. But like we saw last week, last week was a snapshot of when God himself deals with sin. See, when Ananias and Sapphira sinned, God didn't let Peter and the church, they didn't discipline them. God himself stepped in and disciplined them. And I believe what we saw was a picture of how God still feels about sin. Now, we don't see that. We don't see another story like that in the New Testament. And my goal for you last week was not to have you walk away and go, God might kill me. That wasn't the goal. But the heart of it is still the same. God hates sin and he will deal with it. This was a pure church. It wasn't just a place that you would say, yeah, I went to church today. They didn't even have a building. They met outside of a temple. They, there was the temple and they were in some courtyard area having church services. There was no building. As a matter of fact, the church, the Greek word ekklesia, is the gathering of people, the gathering of God's people. That's what the church is. It's not the building. As a matter of fact, if this building were blown away by a storm, you would still be a church. You would still have a church because the church is the people. Now, though they met regularly in the temple, as this scripture just tells us, just told us, excuse me, the people refused to join them even though they respected them. So you had the Jewish people who knew God was doing amazing things through this new sect, is what they called it, the sect or the way. They left them alone, even though they admired them and respected them. And some, in some cases, and probably in many cases, believed that was God and God was doing that, but they refused to join them. That's what the scripture just told us. Why? I believe there were two reasons why. The first one is the Jewish leaders were starting to attack them. And so these people knew that persecution was beginning. And so people were afraid to be a part of what God was doing there. They knew if I join them, people may look at me differently. If I, if I start really living for God, then people might actually start treating me differently. And I don't like that. They may not want to hang out with me as much. Listen, when you're living for God and you love Jesus, you don't have to say a word. Sometimes just the presence and the stance that you've taken causes people to be convicted. They get uncomfortable. I can't tell you how many times when I'm, people may say something dumb or, or use some language they probably shouldn't, and they look at me, Pastor, I'm sorry. You didn't offend me. You need to talk to him. But who you are when you're pure and you're, you're striving for purity, who you are brings conviction to people. Now, that was one reason why I believe they didn't join them. But there was a second reason why they didn't join them. You ready for this? Yeah. 
Let me help you. And, and when I ask a question, it typically is looking for an answer. Typically. The second reason why I believe they didn't want to join them is because of what just happened in the beginning of the chapter. Because God dealt so sternly with Ananias and Sapphira that there were people saying, I'm not giving a thing and I'm not joining y'all because I don't want God to kill me. And they stayed away from them. Why? Because they knew if they joined them, there was a requirement of purity. They didn't look at church membership like they were joining a club. They knew that there was something required if they were going to join them. Our church is not an exclusive club. Let me make sure I'm clear on that. We are not an exclusive club. We are a family. This is a spiritual family. And I love the family feel of the Broussard campus. But I hope you all know that this is an ever-expanding family. This is an ever-expanding family. That means that the love and the acceptance and the friendships and the relationships that you have felt here, hopefully you are extending that to other people because they need it as well. This is not, this is not like the Rotary Club and I'm the Grand Poobah. Right? This is God's family. And he is always expanding his family. And he wants those who are on the fringe of this to be a part of this. That's why we're doing these cokes on the lawns and all of this kind of stuff. Because I want you to get to know your family. And let me just tell you already, if you're worried that some of these people are crazy, they are. And some of them you are not going to connect with. That's okay. But you'll be surprised with the ones that you will and what they have to offer your life and what you have to offer their life. This is an ever-expanding family. But once again, this is not a club. The church is for people who want to bow their knee to Jesus as Lord of their life. There are lots of people, and there may be some people in this room, and I've said this before, who are on the membership role of this church, but you are not on the membership role of heaven. Because you've not bowed your knee to Jesus as the Lord of your life. And am I glad you're here? Absolutely. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're making that decision. And we'll get to this in a little while. Some of you are taking steps towards that. And I'm proud of that. I'm proud of you. But nonetheless, this church, God's people, has a requirement that we live pure before God. That's who we are as his people. As believers, we shouldn't believe that God is waiting to kill us, right? But there is something that I believe is missing in much of Christianity that I see in our nation and in our world today. And it's simply this, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. And I know some of you have been taught, that's not what the fear only means, reverence. Fear only means like respect and, and all of those things. No, fear means there are moments that I should be afraid. What do I mean by that? I'm a loving dad and I love my daughters, but when they cross a line and they know discipline is coming, I don't want fit reverence. I want them to know I'm getting ready to get my butt kicked. That is the fear of the Lord. Not that God's look at waiting for you to mess up because he hates you. God is for you. God wants you to win, but the fear of the Lord is something that we all need. 
It's a healthy fear, not a dysfunctional fear. A healthy fear because he is holy. He is who he says he is. And the Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So my decisions should be affected by what I know God wants and by the fear of him. What do I mean by that? There are times in my life where I've made the right decision when I've been tempted with things I should not go in, go down a certain path with. There have been moments I chose the right thing because I simply love him. There have been moments that I've chose the right thing because I love my family, I love my coworkers, I love, the, I love people. And there have been plenty of those moments. But there, if I'm being transparent with you, there have been moments that I've done the right thing because I fear God. Where the reason I didn't do that stupid thing is because I knew God himself might deal with me on this. And that is a good thing. That is a good thing. And again, I'm not advocating you walk around going, okay, if I go, if, I, if the speed limit's 70 and I go 71, God, I'm going to pull off the side of the road, God's going to kill me. I'm not talking about that. That's dysfunctional. <laughs> Sheriff Terrio, is that dysfunctional? You may kill them, but <laughs> just joking. That's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about a healthy fear that if I do something wrong. See, this is what greasy grace does. And this is so important. There are people, there are preachers out there on TV today who are going to tell you, yeah, just God loves you so much. And he does. God is for you. And he is. But they have a slight bent on what they're saying that almost allows you to live a lifestyle of sin. To just go do it. And all you got to do is just ask God to forgive you and he'll just keep going. And you, just, you, you can just keep doing it and it's okay. It is not okay. God loves you, but he wants you to be like him. He, and I said this last week and I'll say it again. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. So if you're going to say, I'm a Christian and I'm serving him and I'm following him, then you have to know what you are taking on. You're taking on a requirement that says, I am going to choose to live for him. And a part of living for him is choosing to live righteously and not live in sin. And I know that may not be something that you go on TV and you hear all the time, but it does not change the fact it's true. It was a pure church. Jesus even said this, and this may blow some of your minds. Jesus even said this. You would think in a, in a day and era when we, we almost go, okay, please join, church, join our church. We're cool. Come be a part of us because, you know, you, we, we love to have you. Come give us your money. That's not what Jesus was like. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, count the cost. Before you make the decision to follow me, you better know that you've made the decision to follow me. And I bowed my knee to him as Lord. It was a pure church. Number two, it was a powerful church. It was a powerful church. Now, even as I say this, because I'm, I'm hopefully I'm, I'm, 
removing the thought that some of you have had about what the church is supposed to be and helping you see what it really is supposed to be. Because even as I say that, when I say it's a powerful church, some of you may think of influence or political, in, political influence or worldly authority or tons of money and, and power in that regard. Can I just tell you, the early church didn't have any of that. It didn't have any of that. But what it did have was the explosive power of God to change the world. That's what it did have. Acts chapter 5 verse 15 says this, as a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. They may not have been on TV, but they had the power of God. They may not have had all of the right relationships and, and connections and influence. And I'm not saying God can't use that. He really does. But what they had was people coming from villages, laying people out just in hopes to have Peter's shadow cover them so that they might be healed by God's power. And God knew he could trust Peter because Peter wasn't going to get a whole bunch of followers on Instagram. He was going to give the glory back to Jesus. God trusted them and they stewarded God's trust. So God gave them his power. God gave them his power. The apostles were doing these things outside of the church outside of the church. I want you to know something. God can use you to do his work right where you are at. With the people that you are around. You can pray for your coworkers and see God move. You, you don't have that pastor in front of your name. And I'm gonna get to that in a moment because I know some people think, okay, God only used the apostles to do that. That's not even biblical and true. I'll get to that in a moment. But you can pray for your children and see God move on their behalf. You can. Not just at church. Why? Because like I just told you, you are the church. And the kingdom of God is inside of you. And everywhere you go, you bring the kingdom with you. It doesn't matter if you're on a sports field. It doesn't matter if you're in a business office. It doesn't matter where you're at. Everywhere you go, if you're following Jesus, God is with you, he's inside of you, and you've brought him into that situation. Because you carry his kingdom. Miracles were taking place. People that had been praying for things to happen probably their whole lives, they were just happening. Sick people being healed. People demon-possessed being set free. Why? Because God's kingdom was here on the earth and was moving in their midst. Now, as I just mentioned, don't let people limit it to, well, that was just the apostles. Let me tell you why you may hear that. You may hear that was just the apostles because this book is called the Acts of the Apostles. But even in this book, and we'll get to this story hopefully eventually, but a man named Paul who used to be named Saul God knocked him off of his horse, and God sent a regular man to go and pray for him, and his, the scales fell off of his eyes. 
That wasn't an apostle who did that. That was a normal man, a normal guy. A man named Philip God used to do miracles, and we'll, we will get to that one. Even if you look in the Bible, in 1 Corinthians, the Bible talks about this, the gifts of the Spirit. And those were given not just to people who were in full-time ministry. That was given to the church. Gifts of healing, gifts of working of miracles, gifts of prophecy and word of knowledge and words of wisdom. Those things were given to you as a church. It was a church full of God's power. But then number three, it was also a persecuted church. They were a persecuted church. And I'm here to tell you, this is to be expected when you're preaching the gospel. A level of persecution, maybe not like what we see here in the Bible, but a level of resistance will always come whenever truth is being spoken. Acts chapter five, verse 17 through 18 says this, the high priest and his officials who were Sadducees, and we talked about that a couple weeks ago, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and they put them in jail. Now, just in the last chapter, they put them in jail, but then they let them out. And now they're putting them in jail again. Verse 19, but an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the, te the temple guards went to the trial, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked and the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. No one was there. See, they tried to silence the church. They tried to silence these men who were boldly proclaiming that Jesus Christ was Lord. And these religious leaders were frustrated and they were angry and they weren't sure what to do with them because they thought if we, if we go after these men, there might begin a riot because, again, they were highly respected by the people. But then they say something very unique, and I'm going to begin to paraphrase some of this for the sake of time. But then they say something that I hope is said of us as a church. Because, again, remember, I'm not just talking to you as an individual, though you have a part to play in this. I'm talking to us as a whole. I hope this is what's said of us as a church. Verse 28. We gave you strict orders never again to teach in this man's name, he said. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him, and you want to make us responsible for his death. I hope it's said of us as a church that you have filled Broussard, St. Martinville, Brobridge, Delcom, New Iberia, Erath, Cypress Island. Catahoula with the teachings of Jesus. That would be one of the greatest compliments that we could have as a church. That's our goal. The council met about these things, what to do with the church, and they threatened Peter and the apostles. And 
Peter, of course, boldly responded, are we going to obey God or are we going to obey man? We're choosing to obey God. So they threatened them and they kicked them out. And the, and the council begins to talk about their plans to kill them because they don't know what else to do. So they just, they say, we're, we're going to kill these apostles. And then a man by the name of Gamaliel speaks up. And I won't get into who Gamaliel is, all of that, but just needless to say, he was one before the apostle Paul became the apostle Paul. He was trained by a man named Gamaliel, who was this man. This man speaks up in the council and he says something. He brings some reason to them. He says, if this isn't God, this thing is going to fizzle out. Why are we so concerned about this? Why are we so worried about this? Tons of people have come saying they know the Messiah and they've heard the Messiah and it's just fizzled out to be nothing. But then he says something that I believe catches the attention of the council. Verse 39, but if this is from God, you will not be able to overthrow it. You cannot stop God's church. Doesn't matter what your plans are. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how you try to come against them or you try to curse them or you try to do whatever. You cannot stop God's kingdom. Church, can I just tell you too, before I read this last part, you want to know the only thing that can really hurt a church? It's when we let sin in. It's ourselves. Because we can't be defeated from the outside. We can only be defeated from the inside. Which is why we fight for purity. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. That's what he tells that council. If you keep doing this, we may be wrong. And we may find ourselves on the wrong side of history here. And they did. So they decide to beat the apostles and send them away. And this is what scripture tells us in verse 41. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. What else do we see about this church? They were persecuted. And just let me stay there for a moment because when truth is preached and the kingdom of God is preached, there is resistance to it. And we've lived at a time where in the Western world, we've not had to deal with much of that. Most of the persecution, and I'm not saying it feels good because it does not. Most of the persecution that we would deal with is people saying bad stuff about us online or families refusing to have you over for Thanksgiving because you're not going to their church or you're going to a church. Right? That's not fun. And that's a form of persecution. But there have been places in the world, even while you're alive, and in the day and time that you live in, who when people, when they make the decision to make Jesus the Lord of their lives, they are putting their lives and their families' lives on the line. Because they have the threat of being put in prison or killed for following Jesus. There are entire governments whose goal is to make sure their government is one religion and that one religion is not Christianity. So when you become a Christian, you are threatening their government leadership. And they attack that. And that happens in the world around us. And some of you may not know that, but it does. Why? One word, light. 
because light always exposes darkness. That's what light does. Have you ever been in, in a dark room or maybe when you're at night, you're, you're asleep and somebody cuts the light on? As a matter of fact, my wife did that last night. We were in sleep. It was like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning and she cut the light on. And I was like, what? Why? Because your eyes get so accustomed to darkness that light almost hurts when you're first around it. When the gospel is being preached and truth is being preached, you are exposing the darkness around you and darkness is uncomfortable with that. The apostles, they were exposing the wickedness in the religious leaders of that day. And here's the thing, I don't even think they were trying to. They were just doing what's right. And in doing what's right, they were exposing all the people who were doing what was wrong. They were just telling the truth. And by nature, when you tell the truth, you expose a lie. And so that's why there's resistance to this. That's why they faced such resistance. Now, what I'm not, this is real persecution. What I'm not at talking about is when you're just a jerk to people and rude and they get mad at you and you try to call it persecution. No, that's called reaping what you sow. You were a jerk. Don't blame that on God. Blame that on your bad people skills. Right? When you're preaching and when you're preaching about Jesus being the Lord of your life, let me just tell you something. It rocks people. Because we have a whole Christian culture that tells you, just come to church, it's okay, it's gonna get a little bit of Jesus, maybe a little bit of yoga, a little bit of some you know, self-help stuff, and you'll, you'll, you'll have a good life. That's not the Christianity of the Bible. The Christianity of the Bible says, Jesus, if I'm gonna follow you, you are the boss, you call the shots, and I bow my knee to you as my Lord. That's what the Bible teaches us. And in doing that, you rock people because it exposes all of the other lords in their life. Money, themselves, sex, power, all of the things that you've set or we've set as the, the Lord of our lives. When you say Jesus is Lord, it means that I am moving those things out of the place of Lord of my life to make him the Lord of my life. It exposes the rest. The truth by nature exposes a lie. They, that's why they were a persecuted church. And then lastly, I want you to see this. They were a persistent church. They were a persistent church. They were faced with challenges, but they continued because they knew it was God's will. Think about this. They are put in jail multiple times for preaching this gospel. And when they get out, they go right back to the same place and keep doing it. And they knew God was with them. Because as they're put in jail, don't miss some of the nuances of this. An angel comes and opens the door and says, all right, guys, God's not done. Keep going. They were persistent because they knew God was with them. And let me tell you something for your individual life. The safest place you can ever be is in the will of God. The safest place you could ever be is doing what God wants you to do. And it doesn't mean you won't face resistance, but it means when you face resistance, you'll face it with God on your side. 
Doesn't mean you won't have problems, but it means you'll face those problems knowing that God is with you and his peace will carry you. You can be confident in that. The Bible tells us not to cast off our confidence. When things come, problems come, and they will. It's a false gospel when you hear, come follow Jesus and everything in life is going to be perfect. That's not even true. People that weren't mad at you before are going to be mad at you for no reason. Because you're exposing something. Here's the problem. When we live our lives in fear of problems, in fear of conflict, in fear of rejection, in fear of these things, our knee-jerk reaction is to try and control And fear is one of the main driving forces of control in people's lives. Because I'm afraid, no, I can't let this happen. I can't let you think this of me. I can't let you, I can't do that. uh, It's all motivated by fear. But when you know God himself is for you, and he's fighting those battles for you, you can rest easy. He's with me. Because this is what the Bible says. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. That means that the biggest problems I could ever face are going to pale in comparison to the God that's inside of me. Church, if you're in his will, he's for you. If you're doing what he wants, he's for you. They went to jail, but an angel broke them free. They had to go before the council, but one of the wise leaders of the council was one of the ones saying, I don't think we should mess with them. God's will is the safest place for us to be. Are you persistent? Are you persistent in what's right? Or do you capitulate and back down whenever you, whenever you feel like there's a little bit of resistance to you doing the right thing? Let me get real practical for a moment, and then I'll be done. As a parent, as a parent, when your kids are going down a bad path and you're too afraid to have a tough conversation with them, you need God's faith and persistence to have it anyway. Husbands, Wives, there have been times you've not wanted to have tough conversations with your spouses because you don't want to rock the boat. Do God's will. Have the tough conversation. Be persistent because if God is with you, it's the safest place for you to be. There may be people in relationship here that you're with and you see them going down the wrong path. Be a good brother. Be a good sister. Tell them the truth. Tell them in love but tell them the truth. They were a persistent church. And as we look at this, this is our heritage. This is who we are as a church. Some of us look at our heritage and we go, well, I I drank a lot because my family was Cajun or Irish. (laughs) Or my dad cheated on his wife and his dad cheated on his wife. His dad cheated on his wife. You don't have to do that. That may have been your heritage. This is your heritage. This is your heritage. We're a pure church. We're a powerful church. We may even be a persecuted church, but we will be a persistent church. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the power of your spirit to define us. You are our daddy. You are our father. And you're a good one. Help us to see our part that we play in this big collective, this big whole, the body of Christ and what your kingdom is doing, not only in the world, but specifically here in Acadiana. Help us to play our part in this. Give us faith. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us a trust in you that you're for us and not against us. For those, God, who this message has maybe put its finger on areas of, of even sin in their life, I pray that you remind them that your son died for that sin, that you love them. And it's your goodness that leads us to repentance. It's your kindness that leads us back to you. You're a good father. But continue to define us. And my prayer is that you would give this congregation a spirit of evangelism and a spirit of discipleship to claim the territories around us for your kingdom and to look like the church. We love you. We thank you. If you're here today, and as I'm talking about all of these things, you were you, if you're just being honest, would say, I'm not a part of the church because I'm not born again. I'm not talking about whether or not you were ever baptized, whether or not you prayed a prayer, whether or not you shook a pastor's hand. I'm talking about a legitimate question. Am I born again? Have I bowed my knee and made Jesus the Lord of my life? If you're a Christian in here and you're already following him and there's some areas of sin in your life, you just need to repent. You don't need to pray again to be born again. You just need to say, God, forgive me for that. I'm changing my way. But I'm talking about people who've never made Jesus Lord of your life. And you know if you have or you haven't. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom. And you can by being born again. And the way that you're born again is as simple as ABC. A, you admit that you're a sinner. B, you believe that Jesus is Lord, that he came and died for your sin, and see, you confess that he is now the Lord of your life. If that's you and nobody looking around, I want to ask you to just lift up your hand so I can acknowledge who I'm praying with, and I'm going to ask us as a church to, to pray this prayer out loud together. And Jesus is going to meet you right where you're at. If you say, that's me, on the count of three, lift up your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, you say, Pastor, I want to be born again. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life today. Thank you, buddy. Anyone in this place? Church, I want us to pray this prayer out loud together. Even if you didn't raise your hand, you say, I, 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 want, I want to, Pastor. I should have raised my hand. Say these words with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God I believe on the cross you died for my sin for my guilt and for my shame I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go and you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven purpose on earth and a relationship with the father I turn away from my sin to follow you and from this moment on God is my father Jesus is my savior the Holy Spirit is my helper 
and heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen.